0: Hello, lovely ladies, and to all of our listeners out there, we want to thank you for tuning into our monthly episodes here on CNUSD Ed Chat.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We really appreciate your support, and we especially appreciate your reviews and feedback. If our past episodes have not yet inspired you to leave a review.
2: Which,
0: how would that even be possible? We've interviewed Fisher and Fry, Kelly Gallagher, California High School Teacher of the Year, our own Jesse Fuller, Catelyn Tucker, my Pam Allen. Okay, all right.
1: Uh, thank you, Anne Marie. <laughs> No problem. What I was trying to say is that if you have not felt inclined to leave a review, this is the episode to do it.
0: I totally agree because in this episode, our colleague Kate Jackson interviews the fantastically brilliant Penny Kittle. Penny Kittle is not only a high school teacher, but a K-12 literacy
2: coach, podcaster, author of numerous books, and a professor of the Summer Literacy Institutes at the University of New Hampshire.
1: To be honest, we really have no idea how she still finds time to deliver Mm. these keynotes all over the world. (laughs)
2: Not at all. But
1: we are so lucky that she was featured a keynote at one of our favorite conferences, Kate, the California Association of Teachers of English. So,
0: take a listen as Penny Kittle shares how she took practical and effective steps to create classrooms full of students who actually want to read. You hear that, listeners? And this is taking place year year after year after year. Right, because as she says, getting kids to read is so much more than good intentions. And without volume, we got nothing. Boom.
3: Well, good morning, Penny Kittle. Thank you so much for joining us here at Kate 2017 in Santa Clara. Thank you for having me. Uh I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, I wish you'd brought a little better weather. So can I just (laughs) say this pouring down rain? I just want to say that I was first introduced to your work when I was venting to my colleague Anne-Marie about... The frustrations of not having my high school students read. And she showed me a video, and since then I've been hooked on your work and I've been investigating your videos, your podcasts, and of course this wonderful book, Book Love. Many high school teachers complain that students just don't read. They don't read the core material, they don't read the independent reading material, and they give us excuses. Lack of interest, they're extremely busy, they have sports, clubs. And then, of course, not to mention those students who don't read at grade level that are in high school. Please tell us how you get your students to read and what advice do you have for teachers and families to get students to read more? And then, of course, more importantly, to want to read more.
2: You said teachers are complaining that they're not reading. They're definitely not reading, right? That's why we're all concerned. And it is true that they're not interested, it's not just an excuse. They are not interested. And so the number one thing to do to get kids reading is get them interested, obviously. So the only thing I know that works every single time is having a lot of books available, knowing a lot of books, which just takes time to, to keep working at that, you know, tapping into uh, who knows good books for a kid who loves sports or, and then being unafraid of rejection. You know, I can stand at my bookshelf with a kid and be like, oh, I think you'd love this. I love this. I love this. And they're like, nah, nah, nah. And just, you know, knowing that there is a book for every dormant reader that is in our room and believing that and then staying with it. Like you, I tell every student in my class, I own you between now and June. I don't give up. I never stop believing that I can find a book that you will want to read. And so there's a sense of, what is most essential and interesting in my work is I have to turn all of these kids into readers, regular habitual readers, because without volume, we got nothing. You know, Richard Allington said, dramatically increased volume is how you move a reader, period. There was nothing, no close reading, no give everybody the same book and slow, you know, the, none of those things are in the formula for how do you make a kid wanna read. So I try to focus on how do I get my kids to read more as a gateway to then narrowing choice with book clubs and narrowing it even more with a core text because we're not going to get there. Core text, core text, core text. Kids know how to, how to work around it. Book talks every day, I mean practically every single day I talk about great books. You should read this. You should think about this. Read them a passage. Say, oh my word, you guys, this is the first book in a series that, boom, here's 10 books dystopian. We have to give kids vision for how wide and diverse the body of literature is.
3: Getting kids to read more is so much more than good intentions, and I took that from Mm -hmm. one of your podcasts, and I love that. Can you describe what a student should experience in a typical 55-minute language arts class where the goal and its attention
2: to reading and writing volume? When I wrote right beside them, I was teaching 83 minutes every day. And I had a schedule that um, allowed me to go longer with all the things I'm going to talk about. This last year, spending the year writing and co-teaching with Kelly Gallagher, he had 53 minutes a day, I had 80 every other day. So we actually had more time than I did, but we had the same exact schedule. So every day begins with a book talk followed by 10 to 15 minutes of reading where we confer with kids. That emphasis on reading as a habit and reading that I support with daily conferences, is a critical element, followed by time to write a notebooks. So every single day, I give them something really interesting, spoken word poem like Sarah Kay, and then we write next to that poem. We revise that writing, and that's about 10 minutes. We call notebook work about a 10-minute period of time. And so you're now 20, 22 minutes into the start of a 53-minute or 55-minute period. Most days, I have a mini-lesson. I say most because it depends on where you are in a unit. The start of a unit, my mini-lessons, my mentor tech study goes longer because my students don't have topics yet and haven't really started drafting. But as we're into a unit, you know, after short bits, like we call them laps around the track, I've always used this language of, uh, you're gonna compose a scene, then multiple scenes, then multiple scenes that move forward and backward in time and have a theme, you know, like you're, you're progressing in more difficult work. As you do that in a unit of study, your time during the hour changes a little, so you might have mini lessons at the start that follow notebook work, so eight to 10 minutes where you work on one specific thing, goal-directed, deliberate practice. Today we're gonna to talk about dialogue. We're gonna talk about what we learn when we hear dialogue, what's not revealed, what the reader has to interpret, and we study it and we look at a passage in a great book, serves as a book talk, teaches them how to think about dialogue, and then they go back to work on their writing, confer with them as writers, close class with a couple minutes of kids sharing beautiful words, I call it. So it's really, in that 55-minute period of time, the teacher is taking that structure and making it malleable. But every day, kids will hear about a great book. They will read. They will write. And then they'll have time to really work on creating whatever that project is. Could be digital. Could be... Um, poetry. You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens in a school year, but that's the basic. And you say
3: that your students just read so many more books than they would have with that time reading in class and then as well as reading at home, correct?
2: What I'm certain of, because if it worked, it would be working right now, is that every teacher I know is working so hard to engage kids with the core text. The kids are not reading in class. We spend all of that time doing other things. And so then they go home and they don't really want to start it or it's hard or it's above their grade level or all those reasons that you have, they're not interested. And it's just so easy to go online, go on their phone Mm -hmm. and look up what happened. So they're reading summaries, which is not good writing, which is boring, which is not going to interest a kid in the book. It's simply going to help them survive through class. You know, and as many of my kids say, actually, I just sit in class and listen to what other kids say and I pass the tests and I... Mm -hmm. And I think that it's... Out of the best of intentions, you know, we want kids to know this great literature that we love, and instead we have to trust that the path to that great literature has to move through their engagement. And it's engaged reading that we want. We don't we don't just want reading. Mm-hmm. And so I loved this one study of interest. It says interest turbocharges our thinking. We see the deeper structures in what we read. Everything is impacted by your interest. So you get kids to begin to develop this volume of reading, and they develop confidence. They start saying, you know, I think I'm ready for something. What do you think I should stretch myself with? I
3: saw a video where you
2: did an Ignite
3: talk at NCTE, which is the National Council Teachers of English, in 2013, and you discussed about it in your podcast, uh, Book Love
2: Uh Foundation,
3: and you discussed building a classroom library where kids can have access to those great books that they're interested in. So can you tell us how you build your classroom library and um, what makes the ideal classroom library?
2: Well, I think the ideal question is an interesting one. Peter Johnston and Gay Ivy just wrote a piece for Reading Research Quarterly. They suggested that 200 books in a classroom could support a group of readers. And the idea was that they took four teachers each teacher had 200 books and they would rotate their libraries, which I think is just really creative, especially if you're just starting. I started with, as probably most high school English teachers would, I brought in the books that I was willing to cull from my shelves that none of my students wanted to read. I was a British Lit major, right? Oh, really? Let me hand you. And then I had like this collection of ragtag volumes from the used bookstore and a couple things that I started doing right away. One was following used bookstores and yard sales And two was begging. So I would send letters home to parents and say, if you have extra books that you could send in, that'd be great. I said to my seniors that are graduating, what are the books you read this year that you purchased? Because you always have a small percentage of kids, at least, that do buy books. Are there any that you don't want now that you're going to college? And I would offer them like a candy bar, a book or something to bribe them. Some of them are just generous and gave them to me. But I began to get this collection of books. And then I watched what are kids reading? What are they checking out? Who are the authors, that my go-to authors? Get my librarian in the school to order those books. I would bring carts of books down from the library because my students... Every year, they're, oh, no, the library's not for me. I don't really go there. And so it was having to make that bridge. This is where the book is. It's down in the library. You're going to have to go down and get it because the library in my school has 12,000 books. I'll never have that many, right? So it's that back and forth between classroom, library. I often have the first book in a series. The rest are in the library. Go. Um, It helps me, you know capitalize on that but for me an ideal classroom library right now my biggest Mm -hmm. emphasis is we need diverse books wndb hashtag um because i teach in rural new hampshire where we don't have enough diversity and my stories from the world section of my library which is a shelf for africa asia the middle east the caribbean you know all this rich and interesting literature that takes my kids out of new hampshire is critical to developing the empathy the uh Do you know the danger of the single story from the TED Talk? It's just we have to think about how stereotypes are created and sustained by things kids read. And we had quite a lively discussion in my department about why are we still teaching dead white authors exclusively across all of these courses? Because we have multiple copies of the book room. It's not good enough. It's not a good enough answer. So the, the diversity of a library is primarily, I think, for every teacher in this country, an area that we have to focus on. And other than that, the diversity has to include a range of reading levels, a range of interests, of course. You have to continue to find those new books. I watch Title Talk, um, the hashtag on Twitter, which is Donalyn Miller and Colby Sharp, and they recommend books and get teachers to recommend books. And I just look for what's hot, what's out there, what people talking about. Okay, and your Book Love
3: Foundation, um, I've just learned, has grants for teachers to maybe earn a
2: classroom library. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, of course. I love the Book Love Foundation. (laughs) Um, March 1st is our deadline, so I don't know when this is going to be broadcast, but if it's before March 1st, get your pens ready or your uh, typing fingers. The application's online, apply online. And I have a board of about 10 or 11 people, Kylene Beers, Donald Miller, Terry Lusane, um, and then I have business people, a lawyer. We all take 20 to 40 applications. We usually get about 200 a year. And we read them, read them more than once, and then we are partnered up with someone else who's reading the same applications. We come up with a list of finalists that we bring to finalist night, which is long and difficult. We um, try to pare it down to the amount of money we have. So we've given away $147,000 in books. We give away 100% of what we get. So anyone listening who knows somebody rich, they need the write-off of my foundation because we give every cent away to teachers to build classroom libraries. Um, and Heinemann and Booksource are our two um, partners. They've been so generous. We have funded two libraries in Canada, so we're shipping to the provinces now. And we have um, a number, usually about ten gifts of five hundred dollars in books that we give as well. So if you win a library, that's a gift of 500 books that you choose from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of titles that we've cultivated to have a teacher look through. And then the $500 gift certificates, um, you can probably get 100 books for that, which is great for a start or for you know a bonus on your library. You can hear about these people and the experiences they've had with the books since they received them on the Book Love Foundation podcasts. So um, they're just everyday teachers like anyone listening that are trying to figure out a way to get kids to read more.
3: This is a segment we ask of all our guests. With so many changes to 21st century education and learning, what advice can you give our listeners, which are teachers, students, and families, to try tomorrow, to try this week, and to try this month?
2: Everything we know about writing comes from reading. So tomorrow, I would say look at your kid if you're a parent, look at your class if you're a teacher, and say, how much are my students reading? And if I know that they're not, I've got to change it so that I get more kids reading every day. Um, This week, every one of us contains stories, um, experiences, ideas, images inside of us that deserve a place on paper. And Every week, our kids should have the opportunity to write what they're thinking about, um, to have their ideas, put them out on the page so that they can think about them and work with them and figure out if it's something they want to pursue. So this week, be sure that you're not only writing academic, you know, you're not only, um, I want to say writing academically, you're not only asking kids to write about things that are for you. The teacher because the key to getting me to write is letting me choose and so at least some of the time this week at least let them choose this month i would want every person listening to do some writing themselves um i would love it i had a um, parent child notebook at my house for my daughter and i as she hit 13 and she was uh um, a challenge. And it's covered with images of the two of us. And I would write in it and leave it on her bed and she would write in it and give it back to me when she was ready. And we stayed in very close touch through some tough things um, because we were writing to each other. And I've recommended that parents do um, family notebooks so that if you all go out on a trip, we used to do this as a family and we'd all write at night and then share what we had written. But if you were to keep it in one place, imagine having your five-year-old next to your eight-year-old next to you and your partners, thoughts about something you've done together and just to keep it over time. So this month, find a place where you can keep the things that you're experiencing in writing. Um, to, it's a gift you give yourself 10 years from now and you look back and say, wow, I can see it all again. I love that. Well, I want to thank you, Penny, for
3: uh, chatting with us today. Your work inspires me and reminds me to share my love of reading and most importantly, to get kids to also have that love of reading and writing. So thank you very much.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You can find more information about the Book Love Foundation on our show notes page. And maybe you, wonderful listeners, can be one of the next library grant winners.
0: The deadline to submit for a classroom grant is March 1st, 2018. So get on it. And let's get our kids the books they love to read.
1: And when you're not listening to CNUSD Ed Chat, we recommend that you check out the Book Love
3: Foundation podcast. And we highly recommend PettyKennel.net. So thanks for listening to another episode. Hi, ladies. I'm going to interrupt because I was so inspired by my chat with Penny Kittle that I started a family journal where we write to each other. I've been loving doing this, and I just wanted to share some with you and hopefully inspire some of our listeners to maybe start their own family journal. Let's
0: hear it. Um, We love you. My
3: family, I have two boys um, and my lovely husband, and so we write to each other, and just like Penny does, we leave it on the nightstand for each other. It doesn't work perfectly. It takes a while for them to write back. I might say, you know, I'm in the mood for a letter, but here we go. <laughs> Good job. Okay. okay, well, I'm just gonna turn randomly to a page um, and read it and kind of show you what our family journal looks like. So this is one from Evan. It says, Dear Dad, I'm sorry I jumped on the couch, bent the rug, and most of all pushed Milo to the wall <laughs> and made you mad. I'm so sorry. <gasps> I feel like this is a confession. That's awesome. And then, an um, apology letter. My husband wrote him back. Evan, thank you for the apology. I think you are very smart and wise. Oh. Please, before you act, think about the consequences. I love you so, so, so much, Dad. P.S. Keep riding the skateboard. You are ripping.
0: Okay. <laughs> oh my God! I just got chills up and down my legs. That's that it. is so precious.
3: And then, of course, Evan had to write to his brother. Dear Milo, I am so. So, 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 so sorry for pushing you to the... Let's see where he pushed him. Wall. (laughs) And for making dad so, so, so mad at the both of us. Oh so you can see what our household is today. (laughs) Thank you for sharing what real families Um, go through. I think Penny was right in that these are creating memories that I'll have and cherish forever. Because I will look back on these and kind of laugh and giggle at
1: And
0: cry. Thank you, Kate, for sharing. Thanks for listening to another episode of CNUSD EdChat.
1: Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll get the behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and so much more. See you next time. Take care. Bye. If you would like to comment on their podcast, go to cnusd.k12.ca.us/edchat, and be sure to follow them on Twitter and Facebook at cnusd EdChat to let them know the topics you are interested in. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by leaving a five-star review on
0: iTunes. We greatly appreciate your support. This episode was written and produced by Kate Jackson, Anne-Marie Cortez, Kim Kemmer, and me, Ivy Yule Eldridge. It was also edited by Ken Pucci.